You're listening to Inside Content, the TV industry podcast. This show is brought to you by 3Vision, a global TV industry consultancy specializing in content acquisition, strategy, research, and business development. Each episode, we give you VIP access to the views and experiences of senior TV executives and discuss the latest TV industry trends and insights. In this episode, I speak with Rob Holmes from Roku on the future of streaming. We discuss the content strategy of the Roku channel, as well as Roku's partnership and expansion plans. You know, this vision of all TV will be streamed. We think that's really a global secular trend. And I think, you know, one of the main reasons why people are moving towards streaming is that availability of free content. And I think, you know, free is a great price, a very compelling price from a consumer standpoint versus sort of having to pay anything. I'm joined today on Inside Content by Rob Holmes, who's Vice President of Programming at Roku. Hi, Rob. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me. It's been a while since we uh, last chatted, so good to connect. Perhaps you can start by just explaining your role at Roku. Sure. So I lead programming for Roku. So what that means for us is my job to help make it easy to find great content on the platform. Uh, We have a bunch of owned and operated experiences, sort of experiences that we create at Roku that help consumers connect with all the great content on the platform. The biggest of which is the Roku channel, which is a large aggregator of content. And uh, that's something that I was, you know, helped to launch here and my team oversees. Good. So, um, you know, Roku is a, it's a really interesting business and it's been around for a lot longer than most people realize, I think. Could you give us maybe a run through a bit of a potted history of, of how it changed from a streaming device manufacturer to one that now has like a significant advertising business? Yeah, and look, I, I think there's, there, there's probably a misconception that we actually transitioned from a hardware business to a software business at a really high level. Anthony's vision is all TV will be streamed. And, you know, I think he's thought that for, for a long time. I mean, Anthony Wood, our founder, you may know his history, but, you know, Roku means six in Japanese. It's his sixth company. You know, he has been thinking about the on-demand media world for a very long time, including, you know, having his name in one of the original DVR patent applications. So going back to sort of that original drive to make content on demand. So, you know, with, with Roku, I think he's always had this idea of, okay, streaming is going to be how on-demand media gets delivered. And, and we've been sort of working towards that for, as you said, longer than most people think. I think most people would date it back to probably the launch of the Roku streaming box in 2008 or the Netflix streaming box in 2008, which was actually a Roku box. And, and really the, the idea that we make hardware is, is a way to get our software out there, right? So we have a streaming operating system. And we make boxes and sticks, and we've been doing that for over 12 years at this point, that consumers can buy and plug into any TV, any screen to make it a streaming experience for themselves. And so that's something we've been doing for a while. About five, six years ago, we then expanded that distribution of the operating system to include TV manufacturers. And so consumers can now find the Roku operating system built into TVs from over 10 different manufacturers domestically and a variety internationally as well. And basically, you just get the whole Roku experience built in, get that ease of use, all of your streaming options, but also connected to anything else you want to plug into the TV. So, you know, I think that's been, um, you know, sort of a big growth of the business overall. And so, you know, kind of as we think about the business holistically, there's really two sides. There's the group that's responsible for getting that operating system deployed as broadly as possible. So they sell the boxes and sticks, they sell them, you know, domestically and 
Walmart and online on Amazon and internationally through a variety of different retailers, but in increasingly are also partnering with more and more TV OEMs to just offer Roku TVs, um, you know, wherever you buy a TV. And domestically in the US, you know, we're, we're basically 40% of the smart TV market are Roku TVs. Uh, so that, that business unit is responsible for getting that distribution as broadly as possible. And then uh, the platform business unit, which is what I'm part of, is responsible for sort of monetizing that consumer engagement. So we have those consumers that come in through the operating system. We offer them access to a whole range of content. And we monetize that through advertising, as you mentioned, but also revenue share from subscriptions that they sign up for and a you know, variety of other things. So those are kind of really the two businesses and, and the you know sort of the whole cycle is let's get as many people on the platform as possible and then let's help them to engage with great content uh, and then we're able to benefit from that. Right, right, great. And I think it's important for people to understand the difference between the, the Roku channel and the Roku platform. Maybe you could just sort of summarize that a bit. Sure. So, you know, the, the Roku platform overall, that's the place you go and you, that's kind of your home screen is you have access to all your apps, your Netflixes, your, your Hulus domestically, your, your Amazons, your YouTubes and others. And, you know, that's really the place where a partner can publish an app and, and make that uh, their experience available. And it's very much a, a sort of a, a DIY from a partner's standpoint where they create their apps, they manage the backend, you know, they uh, you know, kind of create the customer engagement, they can leverage some tools that we have to help do that publishing, some payment platform capabilities that we offer them. But by and large, they own that experience and they're responsible not just for creating great content, but actually for doing all the technical backend, the customer acquisition, they have to spend money to acquire customers, and then also that monetization, whether it's through um, you know, payments and subscription for SVOD or, or advertising. We launched the Roku channel just over four years ago. Now we just celebrated our fourth anniversary, which is awesome, with two things in mind. And, and really, I guess maybe to distinguish it from that channel experience is, you know, the Roku channel is a channel on the platform. So in the same way, you might go into your Netflix experience, you go into the Roku channel experience to access all this content. And it's in a growing library of great free content, free ad supported content for our users, as well as a la carte subscriptions that you can add on as uh, you know, additional things that you can consume, but uh, on a you know, one-off basis, there's not some big package that you have to subscribe to. And the main driver there is there are definitely some you know, large media companies that are capable of, of doing everything that's necessary to be successful in this space. But with the Roku channel, we recognize that there's lots of people that have made great content, created great services. That's really been the basis of the TV business, but not everybody's able to make a compelling consumer experience in the streaming landscape to sort of manage the customer acquisition elements. That's not really something these media companies have had to do historically, uh, and then drive monetization, whether it's through subscription or, or advertising. And so you know, we're aggregating more content there because it's compelling for consumers. It makes it easier for consumers. But we also think it's really compelling for our, our partners as well. Great, good. So, um, well, you know, we know Roku is huge domestically in the US. Internationally, wh where are you internationally and what are the plans there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for international overall, so, you know, this vision of all TV will be streamed. We think that's really a global secular trend. We are continuing to expand internationally. You know, we're in, in Canada, Mexico, UK, you know, sort of uh, Brazil is another big launch. We've just recently announced that we're coming to Germany later this year. So, uh, you know, we, we continue to expand the operating system in that same model of boxes, sticks, and TV partners across a number of markets. 
And so that's something I think over time, we just believe that all, all TV will be streamed and consumers are moving in that direction and we want to be, be available for them to do that. So, you know, with respect to the Roku channel, today we're available in UK and Canada. And, you know, what we're, we're making available is this great free content. So we think that free is really compelling from a consumer standpoint. And so we, we've let off our offering in, in UK and Canada with a great free offering for consumers. You know, and we're excited to sort of see that, uh, see that as well. Penetration-wise, I mean, you were saying earlier, the US is being driven more and more now by your operating system being on TVs, and you've got a 40% market share. But how, how about internationally? What, what sort of approach are you taking internationally? And you know, what do you think about Amazon entering that market as well recently? Yeah, I, th- I think same, same concept internationally in terms of wanting to make our operating system as broadly available as possible. So, uh, you know, partnering with TV manufacturers to to offer Roku TVs as well as making boxes and sticks available. Um, you know, I think for from a consumer standpoint, you know, both of those are important parts of the offering. Um, you know, consumers have TVs; they tend to swap their TVs over every number of years. But there's any number of reasons why they might buy a TV. And they still want a great streaming platform. And can we, you know, even the TVs that have streaming platforms built in, not every streaming platform is great. You know, Roku is really about simplicity, ease of use, customer choice, and value. And so they may find that the Roku platform is more compelling for them. They don't want to replace their TV. They can easily go out and buy a box or a stick and plug it into uh, to their existing TV without replacing it. But over time, you know, as consumers replace TVs, you know, every number of years, we also want to be a really compelling value proposition from a TV standpoint. Domestically in the U.S., you know, I think we're, we're in a great position there where we work with uh, over 10 OEMs to make Roku TVs available in the market. And they tend to be very uh, low cost, high performing TVs, uh, sort of the best value at any given price point. And so I think that's something we've seen be successful here and, uh, you know, hope to replicate internationally as well. The Roku channel internationally. Anything you can tell us about that? As we watch this space, you got you got plans to. I, I'm sure you're limited in what you can say, but have you got plans to grow that business internationally. Yeah, I can speak at a high level. Uh, just in, in that we we found that the Roku channel is a really compelling value proposition for consumers domestically. So it's a it's a free is really compelling for consumers, particularly you know those who who maybe had to pay for pay TV in the past. The idea of having a great free content selection is, you know, sort of one, one of the reasons why uh, domestically consumers are making the switch to streaming. And I think, you know, sort of ease of use and easy access is, is one of the things we're seeing internationally as well. So I think certainly that that appeal exists as we grow internationally. We think that, you know, the Roku channel is a, a big part of the appeal of the platform domestically, which certainly makes sense for us to, to continue to extend it, you know, as part of that same strategy, but, but nothing specific, you know, in terms of, of announcements or anything at this time. Maybe we can move on to talk a little bit about the content because you know free is a compelling, appealing offer, but only really if, if the content's there to back it up. Obviously, to attract new viewers in an increasingly crowded AVOD marketplace, you need that good content. So we, we've seen recently you guys have done a deal with Saban Films for the pay one window. Has that been successful? And any other plans to do similar first pay you know, movies or series windows. So, I mean, just stepping back a little bit to the inception of the Roku channel. So, um, you know, the Roku channel, as I mentioned, we, we launched it just over four years ago. And, you know, one of the main drivers for it was we saw that free was something that consumers were searching for often on the platform as one of the top searched terms. And, and we still see that today. 
And I think you know one of the main reasons why people are moving towards streaming is that availability of free content. And I think you know free is a great price, a very compelling price from a consumer standpoint versus sort of having to pay anything. Um, you know, we definitely think you know in the SWOD marketplace, there's obviously lots of great content, and people are, are coming to streaming to access that content, which is certainly a, a boon for our business as well. But this the consumer psychology you know, around subscribing to something, subscribing to Netflix or a Disney Plus or something, is different from the consumer psychology around watching something for free. You know, there they're thinking about, is it worth paying for this? In the free scenario, they're like, oh, you know, am, am, I, am I happy watching this? Um, and so the consumer sort of process and, and can only bar for content from a free standpoint uh, is very different from the, the SVOD side. And so that's something that we've seen really over the last few years, you know, proven out again and again. And so we continue to add content. We launched with, you know, around 500 movies and a handful of TV shows. We now have over 175 different distribution partners you know, we have over 40,000 episodes and movies that are make available for free. We have a kids and family offering. We have 200 of these free ad supported linear channels. So we just keep growing the offering. So as, as you're talking about, you know, with respect to Saban and, uh, and these other content acquisitions, you know, it's really about continuing to level up the quality of content that brings somebody into the experience. And, you know, without sort of talking about any of these things in particular, you know, we've, we've talked about things like the, the, the Quibi content, for example, that it was some of the most viewed content within the Roku channel when it launched. And I think the idea that we can bring these high quality films in the case of Quibi, you know, sort of new originals that, that really hadn't been seen by many people, in the cases of Bond films, these are early, you know, rel relatively recent uh, theatrical releases that are now available for free on streaming. That's really compelling to consumers. Um, you know, so we're now seeing that the Roku channel is the number six channel by reach uh, in the streaming universe, you know, just after Disney Plus and Hulu, uh, and as the number one channel by far, you know, in reach against traditional AVOD services like, like Pluto and Tubi. So there's definitely some element of that that's driven by the content. There's also a big component of it that's driven by the experience and how we integrate it into the Roku platform overall. But we've certainly seen that that content, uh, you know, help to bring in an, a new group of folks and really make uh, some new folks come check out the Roku channel that might not have otherwise done so because, you know, they, they weren't necessarily looking around for free content. I guess they're, they're important sort of acquisition tools for you. Um, you, know, you, you mentioned the, the, the Quibi deal. I think you're, you're rebadging those as Roku originals. Any plans to, to do any other originals? Right. Uh, so we, we acquired Quibi at the beginning of the year and then relaunched that content uh, under the Roku Originals banner. And you know, if you think about sort of the transition from what, what Quibi was, which was a mobile-first SVOD service that was really trying to launch at a, at a difficult time. You know, the pandemic had just started and, and a, you know, a big part of their pitch was was catching people on the go in these in these with these quick bites and and so you know in our acquisition we wanted to, to pivot to bring that content to the big screen right this was great content I and mean, if you watch any of it it's it's you know really top tier talent very well produced you know a lot of great shows you know fun stuff to watch we were bringing that to our users we're taking it from the mobile first experience and putting it on the big screen in the living room that everybody wants to watch we are making it available for free, so there's no longer that pay barrier, and and we're you know promoting it on a platform that has over 50 million users, and so you know sort of a really substantial transition from where it was to I think what we're able to do with that 
as Roku originals. So, you know, we've shared some of the stats in terms of the performance and what we saw, but as I mentioned, you know, some of the, some of the most watched programs on the Roku channel were, were these Roku originals, and it led us to, to actually uh, greenlight some additional seasons of these shows. So we've announced we're doing a, a second season of Die Hard. Uh, we've announced we're doing a second season of Most Dangerous Game, uh, which are some of our, our, our biggest uh, uh, shows there. Uh, on the sort of outside of, of Quibi Front, uh, we also recently announced a, a Christmas special uh, for Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And so this is a show that was on broadcast on NBC in the U.S. for two seasons. R really great show, very uh, a strong following, a, a really big movement to, to retain the show. Um, and we saw an opportunity to sort of extend and, and reach out to that audience and bring them in for sort of a capstone uh, holiday movie. So, you know, we're starting to, to have more and more of those types of opportunities that we're seeing. And as the channel gets bigger and we're seeing this kind of performance, you'll see us be, you know, do more of these kind of creative and expansive content sourcing opportunities or content creation opportunities, really, in these cases, to bring to our audience. So, you know, it's definitely something that we're building on. And I guess... That, that's all done to bring the bring the viewer in, get get the viewer to the platform, and keep them on the platform. But but you know you you touched on the huge quantity of content you've got. You've got you know over two hundred fast channels, and and hours and hours and hours of content. How do you make sure that people can find what they what they want to find? So I, I think that there are kind of two main ways to think about that. I think one is the experience outside of the app on the platform, and the other is the experience in the app. Um, so one of the, the advantages that we have as the Roku channel on the Roku platform is our ability to make it easy to find the Roku channel content in multiple places in the UI. So you'll, you'll certainly find Roku channel using all the promotional tools that make available to our partner. We have a large uh, banner ad on the right side of the home screen. We use something called the spotlight ad, which appears at the bottom of the left-hand side of the page, really, really high profile. Um, you know, we've done some, some home screen takeovers as well. So lots of ways sort of on the platform to make it easy for our users to find and engage with that free content. And it's one of the ways we're able to make the Roku channel content stand out. Uh, you know, a big one that we launched earlier this year was actually starting to integrate our fast channels into a UI feature called live TV. So this is something that if you have a Roku TV that if you set up an antenna, an over-the-air antenna, um, you get your local channels through that experience. Well, now you also get these 200 live channels from the Roku channel built into that experience as well. And so that's part of the Roku channel that's been integrated more broadly into the Roku UI uh, in a way that just makes it easier for consumers to, to find this great free content. And we've, we've heard that, you know, a lot of great feedback about that um, because it, as I said, it just makes it easy for users to find this great content. Within the app as well, you know, we're really moving strongly towards a world that's entirely driven by machine learning. And so if you think about that element, each consumer, you have that much content, and you also have a mix of all these different channels, you have a kids and family experience, you have pay services, everybody's sort of bundle of what they want to watch in the Roku channel is different. And so we're always experimenting with ways to deliver that experience to our consumers most efficiently to get them into that thing that they want to watch and they want to dig into. Um, and so whether that's something like a, you know, machine learning algorithm that helps them highlight things because, you know, the types of, because you watch this, you might also like this, you know, new things this month, something that's leaving soon. All of that is, is created through a, a basically a, a portfolio of algorithms that then generate the page that you see. 
uh, one of the things that we see you know, the most power in is, is even something as simple as continue watching. So you've already watched this, you wanna come back and get right back into it. We wanna help you to do that. So uh, you know, as we, we see different consumers engage in different ways with this content, we always wanna make it as easy as possible for them to get back into that content or find that next thing that they wanna engage in. And really, I think the best way that we've seen to do that is, is through letting a, you know, an algorithm uh, you know, drive that process. Because there's just there's, there's too many data points for kind of a human to go through and pick the right thing for everybody. You really need a personalized experience that's the right thing for you. And so is that, with you guys, is that purely AI driven or is there any, any sort of human intervention in there? At this stage, we're, we're effectively purely AI driven. I think the human elements come before that where we're creating all of the data that goes into what the, the, the AI uh, understands about the content, right? So there's, a, there's an element of what they call metadata, which is just descriptive elements about the content. Um, some of that is is general, so you want to describe the content, what genre it fits in, or um, you know if it's uh, not on Netflix or things like that. Some of that is based on you know more operational factors like uh, you know is has this just arrived and is it new this month or you know will it be leaving soon? So that you kind of make people aware of that. And then some of it is really entirely personal. So there may be a connection. People who watch this also watch this. Let's present that kind of content to you know to our users based on a you know sort of an idea that this user is like that user or people who watch this also like that. So there's a there's a whole variety of ways that all of that gets rolled up, and then there's actually a, a kind of a, a layer that sits on top that takes all of those recommendations and then assembles the page that we think is the best page for you. So there's a there's a whole kind of set of series of steps that go into making that happen. Good, thank you. Thanks for that explanation. Um, now, you know, Roku itself, you know, it's, it's now taken on like a, a significant role as a video aggregator. A huge number of third-party apps that you can get, you know, in multiple places sometimes on the platform. How do you see that third-party app strategy developing for Roku? As we think about the future of TV, right, it, it, you know, people are re-platforming their TV consumption from legacy cable or you know, legacy platforms onto streaming. So we think that there's just this, this fundamental transition to streaming. And, and broadly, the, the, there'll be sort of two paths through which somebody you know, brings content to consumers this way. There's going to be those large standalone partners, the Netflixes, the Disney Pluses, and others of the world who have invested billions of dollars, not only in creating great content, which is this business that they've been in historically, um, but also in creating great consumer experiences. And if you think about Disney Plus when they launched, and they've been an enormous success, you know, they, they went out and they bought the, the technology components from, from uh, you know, uh, MLB Advanced Media to sort of underpin their offering. And that was a, you know, multi-billion dollar acquisition. So it's not just about the content, which I'm sure they've also invested billion dollars of dollars in, but also the, the platform on which it operates. And there's only a small number of companies globally that can make that scale of investment. And, and so we're, we're always going to be happy to have those partners on our platform because we want to give consumers the ability to access everything that's great in streaming and have access to all of that content to make it easy to use, to give them that choice. But increasingly, there's lots of great content owned by a variety of companies that really can't make that level of investment to make it actually a successful streaming experience. And so that's really where we think the Roku channel comes in. 
is the ability to allow somebody who's great at making content can curate a great service to leverage our ability to put, do, you know, great video delivery, make a great user experience on a streaming platform to do, you know, really efficient customer acquisition and retention, and then monetize those users effectively. And so we're always, I think, going to have this, this split on our platform between those who are really capable of doing it themselves. And, and we're very happy to have them. We'll continue to work with them. And we fundamentally want them to be successful. They, they make our platform compelling to, to have them available for consumers. But we also want to be able to, to help everybody who has content, who has a service that wants to benefit from this transition to streaming to be able to reach our consumers. And we want to offer that great content to our consumers. We think the Roku channel is a really great way for people to do that. And we're seeing more and more people recognize that partnering with somebody like the Roku channel is actually a more efficient, better, longer term business for them than this, this do-it-yourself model. Great. So, so that's Roku now. What next? What's next for Roku? What, what developments do you think we should be looking out for? I think it, the trend is our friend on this, in that this transition towards streaming is a generational trend, right? So the, the sort of pace at which all TV consumption moves to streaming will be something that will continue to drive our business forward for, for many years, and we're very excited about. I think within that, you have other trends. You have the transition of major media companies from sort of legacy TV distribution to streaming TV distribution. And even this year, you've seen domestically the launch of a variety of services. I suspect, you know, internationally, we're going to continue to see that, that scaling and these, these either global services continuing to globalize or more sort of local champions recognizing that what you're seeing in the U.S. is going to come to their markets as well. So you're going to see a lot of these partners needing to get into the streaming ecosystem over time. And I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation for us about the best way for them to do that. You know, are they in a position, is everybody in a position to do it yourself and sort of fund that level of investment to make a compelling standalone streaming experience? Or are they going to want to partner with folks like us and the Roku channel uh, to be able to deliver that? So I, I don't think there's anything coming that isn't sort of on the table already. I think it's a, it's a question of the, the trajectory or the pace of these things, how that works, you know, market by market and partner by partner. But I, I think, you know, we're already seeing the long-term trend and it's really almost a question of how quickly that comes. Right. So you, know, you are the facilitator for these guys. Yeah, I mean, in, in both ways, right? So I think we're, we're helping to facilitate these major companies who can make that, that really large, you know, multi-billion dollar level of investment. We, we want to facilitate, make it easy for them to reach our consumers. We want our consumers to have easy access to those partners. So that the business transition that we're seeing, and that'll, you know, that'll take some time to sort of fully be realized. Different types of content will move at different paces. You know, you're starting to see sports in the U.S., you know, really transition over to streaming. There's been a lot of interesting stuff there done recently. Um, you know, so I, I suspect we'll see the same thing internationally, but, uh, you know, you're also, I think, going to have people that really have to consider what's going to be my, my role in the ecosystem. And so can we, can we help to facilitate them getting access, you know, into the streaming ecosystem, accessing the streaming user base, you know, through an experience like the Roku channel. Great. Thanks. Well, look, I, I, um, I've enjoyed chatting with you. It's been fantastic. Um, it's great to see kind of Roku developing into a powerhouse. I look forward to seeing any international developments that come and maybe, you know, we can have a catch up in 12 months time and let's see where the business is then. Yeah. Always happy to chat. Appreciate the, appreciate the opportunity as well. Thanks very much, Rob. Good to speak to you. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside Content, the TV industry podcast brought to you by 3Vision. With decades of TV industry experience and real-world success, we know the ins and outs of the market like nobody else. To learn more about our TV consultancy services, head to 3vision.tv.